Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders within the field of diversity and inclusive leadership. My name is Leila McKenzie, and today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by the wonderful Andrew Pierce, the Managing Director for Accenture in the UK, looking after operations, amongst many, many other things, a client account-led and delivery specialist with many years of delivering and leading complex multi-geographical finance, HR, procurement solutions for clients, He has been in a delivery center lead role in Mauritius and lived and worked in New York and Brazil. He is an alumni of Oxford and Imperial College. Andrew is passionate about inclusion and diversity and is also an executive sponsor for the Accenture African and Caribbean Network, the UK chair of the ELC, and also named as one of the top 50 BAME execs in the UK, US, and Ireland by Upstanding List 2016, Empower List 2017, and ranked by Empower List 2018 as being a top 30 minority ethnic leader across the US, Ireland, and Canada. In addition to all of this, he was also recognized on the Green Park List as one of the top 100 BAME leaders in Business 2018 and the Power in the City 2018 list as one of the 30 most influential leaders in the UK of African or Caribbean and American heritage working within legal, financial and professional services. Andrew lives with his partner Sally, who's a therapist in Lincolnshire. He has a son who is a trauma surgeon at the Royal London and also a Royal Air Force squadron leader. So welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you. It's great to be here. Delighted to have you on the show. Uh, I'm quite <laughs> quite exhausted having gone through all of the list of accolades, the list of awards, the various top 20, 30 lists that you've made in the UK. And, you know, really, really proud that I'm speaking with you and, and have the opportunity to kind of talk with you and get to share some of those, you know, key pieces of learning with it, with our audience. Clearly, there must have been a lot to evade all of those lists. Well, I'm delighted to actually speak to your audience and speak to you because being an inclusive leader and being a role model is very important to me. Strange enough, I've never actually had that list read back to me before, but at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's about what I can do to shine a spotlight on other people. I'm a great believer the spotlight shines on you, use it to shine on somebody else, because the legacy isn't about me, it's about what you do to make a more inclusive workplace, a more diverse and inclusive society going forward for generation are going to be the next leaders. Absolutely. And just share with our listeners a little bit about some of the current projects that you're working on at the moment. I believe probably a lot of our listeners will have heard of you already and have heard certainly about a number of the power lists that you've been on. But tell us what you've been up to recently. So recently I'm working with our clients in Accenture. We obviously have you know a large presence globally and I'm responsible for clients who work in a global workplace. And we're responsible for the services that we provide to them are delivered and are executable. I'm responsible for ensuring that we bring innovation and value and if you like thought leadership, if I can use that phrase for our clients, to bring value. It's not just a case of day by day delivering the service, it's a case of day by day doing something different and adding that differentiation, adding that value, but more importantly bringing that disruptive innovation. We live in a disruptive society 
You know, we, we see that every day with the companies that spring up and have, have really moved forward because of innovation and disruption. And so it's bringing that thinking to not just do the same as normal, but what can we do better? How can we delight our client more? So I work with my clients specifically in that area to actually bring that value as well as ensuring that day by day everything we do delights them you know that we are an epic partner for them and build that partnership approach fantastic and i know that you are very passionate about a whole plethora of different subjects a number that you've kind of mentioned already but i'd be really keen just to kind of dig a little bit deeper and find out about some of your more personal experiences and the things that have kind of led you to this point to be so passionate about these areas around dni and obviously the cross-cultural pieces and potentially even, you know, I know that you do quite a lot of kind of mentorship as well internally. So tell us a little bit about yourself personally, how you came to be where you are today and some of the key facets to how you've utilized those learnings, I guess, in every day now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, my background is that I'm a child of the 60s. Right. And, and then 60s in the UK, if you're black, was a different world than it is now. And my parents were white. I was adopted. I was adopted when I was 10 days old. Oh, my goodness. So was I. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, both my parents were white. And you ask about formative years and someone who sets that theme in your mind about the world needs to be more inclusive and equal. Both my parents have, have now passed. My mother passed only last year. But if I think back of the bravery that she showed in actually adopting a black baby in what was uh, the Lake District. There are not many black people in, in the Lake District, even though it's the most beautiful part of the UK. You know, she put up with an awful lot of, I would have said, comments, thoughts, but that wasn't the point. The point is, it was about the fact that people should be treated equally and everybody should have a chance. That was my mother's mantra. And regardless, you know, she showed incredible bravery in a world that was different than it was today. I mean, I, when I grew up to school, I didn't know what it was going to be called the next day when I went into school, right? Depending on what was on the TV. You know, the TV was different with the various programs that were on. And certainly that fostered in me, one, I knew I was different, but it also fostered in me a need to show that Actually, you should not judge people depending upon whether it's to do with their gender, whether it's to do with their ethnicity, let's do with their sexuality, their enablement. There should be no judge. People should be allowed to be themselves, be authentic, not have to somehow have this medium that everybody should aspire to be, um, but be themselves and bring them whole selves. Now, my mother fostered that into me, the fact that always be proud of who you are and be yourself, but that everybody has a story and listen to those stories. I mean, it could have gone the other way, right? It could have gone the other way entirely. I could have thought the whole world was a horrible place and, you know, it could have been a totally different experience. But that discipline about treating people equally is something that certainly left its mark on the very young and early Andrew, um, but also recognition as you get older, just how much bravery was shown by my parents and my sister, who was uh, their natural child, sadly it was also passed in actually bringing looking up for me and looking after me and also ensuring that I had that equality of, of purpose that was the real formation I mean you know I, I excelled I did very well academically and again that was down to the fact that I felt as though I had to work harder mm -hmm. uh, that I had to show I was capable of there was a certain amount I'll be honest of arrogance and again I think that was something that my mum had deliberately grown in me as a way of coping mm -hmm. in a world that was hostile and a world that would always be one of just one, certainly in the environment that I grew up in. But it also made me very, I would say, 
determined to achieve. So those foundations, you know, and as you had mentioned, you know, you know my partner Sally's a therapist, you'll always say that those foundations of youth are the ones that actually will determine 99% of the case of what happens to you going on. So having that grounding made a big difference in my mindset and they say about inclusivity and about being fair to people. When I joined the Air Force, which was purely by, almost by accident, because my intent had been to be in academia. I'm dying to ask about this, actually, because, of course, you know, first of all, let me just say, what a wonderful story. And thank you so much for sharing that, Andrew. And That's okay. What a lovely story. And obviously, for me, that resonates such a lot because... I'm Chinese and both of my parents are both white British. My dad is from London, my mum is from the Wirral. Um, My brother is also Chinese. And so, of course, we grew up in Harrogate, actually, in North Yorkshire, which is very, very... Very pretty town. Mm. Oh, it's lovely, lovely, but very, very British. Yeah. Very, very very British town indeed. And so we were the only Chinese children who were in school. And I'm sure it was the same for you as, you know, as a child, you know, black child living at school, in the Lake District, and of course, you know, with a family who is white British. I mean, that's just, I was kind of picturing you as you were talking through that story, and it was really just absolutely fascinating. So thank you so much for sharing that. No, that, that's okay, because I think that's important that I, I do, because that's part of the you know, foundation of my belief in moving towards that equality. And, you know, you asked about the, the Air Force, and so it's purely by accident. You could almost say it's field accident, you know, wandering down the street one day in St. Giles, there was an RF recruitment poster. Because my aim had been to pursue a career in academia, really, is what I'd like to have done. I got into particularly interested in doing a defrill in medical physics. Well, of course, I'm from Oxford as well. I mean, you clearly then had the confidence to go off and do whatever you wanted to do from there on. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there certainly was that element of confidence, most definitely. And But I saw an advert, you know, wanted undergraduates, sponsorship, maths and, and physics to join the Air Force. And it was six weeks later, I found myself with a sponsorship and um, effectively a university cadet and spent 16 years in the Air Force, which I thoroughly enjoyed and it's quite often I get asked the question because again there were very few black officers in the Air Force in fact I think there was only two maybe been three black soldiers by the time I left the Air Force but I, I didn't really suffer any angst about it in terms of it was the Air Force was very much about you know, your performance as, as an officer. I was actually promoted to squadron leader, um, which effectively is classed as a senior rank, very young. I was 29 or 30, so I was a very young squadron leader. Um, but that was based on not because I was black, it was based on my ability in the Air Force was very clear about that. What I found strange was that when I decided to leave and go into the corporate world, the sometimes malicious, but quite often just clumsy language around race that was just accepted, which wouldn't have been accepted even back in the late 90s in a military environment, or certainly not the Air Force. And I found that quite disturbing. And it wasn't only about ethnicity. You know, you'd you'd hear comments around women or comments around sexuality, which I found amazing that, you know, this was the large corporate world. And yet these behaviors were not only seen as being part of one of the boys, some industries being worse than others, mm-hmm. uh, but just accepted as the norm and the way that people were treated and talked about. Now, you know, again, this was, you know, we're going back 
20 years and things have vastly improved. But having seen that behavior, it's not something that I was willing to just accept. It's something that you have to speak about. And things obviously have changed. There's been a large movement. If I look at how certainly the, you know, the gender has changed in terms of representation at senior levels, uh, the total non-acceptance of inappropriate speech or behaviors. Is it there yet? No. You know, are we completely where we should be in terms of you look at the gender mix? No. Are we getting there? Yes. Is there recognition and power in the voice? Yes. And so there's been a lot of progress around gender. But if I look at ethnicity, it's a good 10, 15 years behind where gender is currently. You know, one of the big reasons I would argue for that is that when the recognition about the importance of actually having role models, actually having women in senior positions, understanding that behaviours that are inappropriate cannot be allowed, there was a lot of male advocates for that because they have daughters, right? They have daughters. They want a world that's fairer for daughters. They want a world that their daughters can succeed. And maybe it started to drop home. And it was easier to build up that male advocacy to really help build that. And as I said, the journey is not finished, but it was easier to, to have those conversations because people could relate these, you know, these, these let's be honest, in, in a corporate world where predominantly it was white males who were the leads, they at least could relate because they had daughters who they wanted a better world for. The problem with ethnicity is that you don't have those natural advocates who are not black and you need that because the power base says that that needs to happen to change that. So building that advocacy is an important part of moving it forward, but we've not got to that critical mass, which is hence why this drop in terms of where we are, we should be with ethnicity and where we are with gender. Similarly, we've made huge strides with the, you know, for LGBT and sexuality. And the other thing as well is that companies often hide behind this diversity statistic. You know, they will often say, well, okay, actually, you know, we're, we're 30% BAME. Now, BAME covers a large area. It does right? indeed. And I'm passionate across all of diversity and more importantly, inclusion, right? We're a diverse society. Society is yeah, diverse. Course. I think the inclusion piece is the more important. Maybe we could should yeah. say I and D as opposed to D and I, but ultimately, yeah. you know, the diversity is that diversity and that richness of thought and different voices around the table, regardless of where they may have come from. Correct. Correct. And I would normally say I and D, you know, and we can come to quickly that point about why it's important. But if you actually I look specifically, look at the African Caribbean network. And when companies start actually dissecting that data, we can see that's you know, as a group very poorly represented, certainly at senior level. And it's working with companies, it's working with networks, it's mentoring and providing role models to change that dynamic, to actually change that position, to get something that's representative. And to your point, having numbers, ticking off numbers and saying, well, we're diverse, that is not the answer. You have to be inclusive. Just out of curiosity, and I hope you don't mind me asking this, no, but I absolutely concur with the fact that really shining a light on positive role models like your Self and like many, many other executives who really want to do something good and purposeful and give back to future generations. Completely agree with that. But how did you kind of find it? Because obviously, you've been very confident along the way, which you'd mentioned and alluded to through obviously doing fantastically well educationally and really kind of standing firm throughout your career. How did you find that confidence when there weren't kind of necessarily their role models out there? Because when I was going through my career, you know, there was no, well, 
very few anyway ethnic kind of role models certainly asian ethnic role models or chinese even other than i think maybe one of my colleagues once said gok wan or he used to call me gok wan for some reason right. that was about it so you kind of just i didn't have them you find your own confidence but clearly you found that confidence without there being the role models back when you were climbing up the career ladder. That's a, a good point, and one which I've never really given a lot of thought to. You know, we, we can all point to in terms of, you know, if we look historically, the, you know, Rosa Parks sitting on, on that bus, right? We look at Martin Luther King and the civil rights movements and Angela Davis, you know, the work that was done in the States and the immense, you know, just the pure courage to say this isn't right. I've never really particularly analysed that as a, as a great question. I suspect it goes back maybe to the start this conversation and in terms of seeing what my mum and dad put up with and being confident enough to do and speak about it or just ignore it and carry on I suspect that plays a major part in it Mm -hmm. to be quite honest and yes the first time that you have these conversations don't forget by then I'd done a military career 16 years in the Air Force that obviously builds your confidence and your ability to to speak out because that's part of what you're expected to do in a military officer the first time however you speak about it in a corporate environment and say this isn't right yes you feel a little bit nervous about it then you realize well I'm not the one in the wrong here I need to speak out if I don't speak out then what I'm being is complicit yeah I'm I'm being complicit so I cannot be complicit for something where people get left behind because of race or because of gender or because of sexuality. I'm, I don't want to be complicit for that or in that, I should say. And not only because, you know, there are two primary reasons for that. One, it's the right thing to do. From a moral standpoint, it's the Absolutely. right thing to do. And secondly, from a business standpoint, it's the right thing to do. Right? I mean, it's been shown, you know, I mentioned earlier on, we're in an age that's disruptive. It's been shown that you have a diverse and inclusive team whose voices matter around the table you get much better results in terms of ideas and innovation. If everybody looks and acts and hires people that think the same as them, no one's really thinking. You need those ideas. And that equals more profit as well, ultimately. I mean, yeah, and and the actual companies that are actually really not just ticking boxes, but going forward and making a difference, including, it's been shown that something like 35% is added to their revenue because they come up with different ideas. That's right. I think that's McKinsey stat, isn't it? Yeah, so it's McKinsey stat. And the other stat is the 24 billion that's left on the shelf because you're not engaging certain communities just within the UK. Okay. I mean, the classic, if you don't mind saying this, was H&M. H&M producing an advert with a young black boy wearing a monkey T-shirt. Now, and then they wonder why there's a whole community will no longer buy clothes from H&M. If it had a diverse marketing department involved in that, someone said, whoa, whoa, come on, you can't do that. And this is why. It's the negative stereotype, right? One, it makes sense because it's the right thing to do. Morally, it's the right thing to do. No one gets left behind. Everybody has a chance. And secondly, business, it makes total sense. And in a world where we are seeing disruption, where we are seeing small companies coming up with innovative ideas that change our world day by day, the large companies or small companies or medium companies need to be doing the same thing and putting that innovative thinking. Otherwise, you know, to use that, that phrase, they will be the dinosaurs, right? They will become extinct. Exactly. They will not be able to adapt quickly enough. And no one wants to become extinct, do they? No. Exactly. So on these really key and valuable points, because I couldn't agree with you more, you know, I think in a now time where businesses really need to step up to the plate, they really need to, like you say, innovate and start to actually drive positive change, which again is also positive for business um, and thereby positive profit. You know, there is a business case for it. Talk to me a little bit about some of the, so I know that you do a lot kind of around the wider communities and your 
big advocate for mentorship. Has there kind of been any case studies or examples that you can share with me where there's been some really positive experiences of where you've been doing mentor pieces or doing cross-cultural studies or even any particularly challenging times that you've faced into? Yeah, and maybe if I perhaps just come back to your point about the cross-cultural, because the interesting point I'd, I'd like to make about this is that having working and living abroad and spending time in different cultures is a great way to understand how important different cultures are and to embrace them. You know, spending time traveling and spending time in other cultures, I've been very fortunate in my extension career to have done that. And that's an extremely learning and valuable time from that cultural diversity perspective. If I want to take a challenging time, I can do that. Having been in Brazil, and this always surprises people, right? You know, living and working in Brazil, Brazil was incredibly racist. Really? You see, there's the sudden reaction, yeah. Although I suspect we may go backwards again now because we've got a very right-wing president's come in. Because if you're black, you're in the favelas or you're on the beach with deck chairs, in business or access to education, it, it's white. There are times when it was quite apparently racist for me working there, you know, and I was getting to the point of, is this really worth it? It's that horrible, subtle form of racism. Some wasn't so subtle, but it's that subtle form of, I aspire a mission, right? So you're not included in things you should be included in quite deliberately, or there's a lowered expectation of you. So that, again, that subtle racism of lowered expectation. And it's, it can actually get to you. It can get to you because it's not worth it. I went through this when I was a young teenager, you know, when you had National Front and skinheads. I don't need to do this now. And how did you overcome those feelings? I had to stop being angry. If I'd allowed my anger to overtake me, then I had to go back to being, as Michelle Obama would always say, people go low, you go high. So work through it. Do over-deliver. Ensure that people you weren't going to because it'd been very easy for me to have actually just given up and therefore confirmed the confirmational bias right i wasn't going to do that because there could be somebody there in the future in a similar prospect and maybe not have that same resilience and i didn't want that person to have that so i had to show what i was capable of not for me but for people that look like me and at the same time encourage people to treat matter what people are doing whether they were a toilet cleaner or a debt chair attendant everybody has a story everybody's a person and you don't know what those stories are what those people are capable of now spending time and talking to people is an incredible different way of doing that but yes how to work through that make sure that i committed rather than say no i can't do this and i say purely because hopefully the next time so that's the situation you know those people will say actually well we know that this can be done by someone who is a person of colour. Absolutely. There has to be someone who breaks the mould. And I love that piece that you just said previously about everyone having a story. I couldn't agree more. I think everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has a diversity story to tell, I think. And you can learn something from pretty much everyone that you meet if you're willing to take the time to really get to know them and to actually scratch below the surface and find out a little bit more because we're all flesh and blood and humans at the end of the day, aren't we? Well, and the other thing is if you're willing to listen. You know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. People tend to listen not to understand. They listen because they want to reply. You know, and when you want to have a conversation about ethnicity or race or what needs to change, people are very keen to reply to say, but I'm not racist or we're not racist, but they're not understanding what you're saying. 
I'm not saying you are, but unless things change, you've got to understand what it feels like to be an individual of colour in this environment. And you're not listening. You're not listening. You're not understanding. You're effectively being defensive. Absolutely. And it's breaking that down. And have you any advice to any of our listeners who are tuning in right now who may be experiencing some of the similar challenges and hurdles that you've experienced, but obviously you've come out the other side and done fantastically well? Have you got any advice to those who might be listening that could be trying to wade or coax managers or colleagues into seeing things from their point of view? One, don't stop. Well, first of all, don't try, right? Do it or don't. It's very easy to try and do something. If you don't do it, well, you've tried. You can either be confident enough to actually do it. If you're not confident enough, seek a mentor or sponsor to help you have those conversations. Now, they may well be somebody internally that you can have the conversations with. You may want to seek an external mentor to have a conversation with to get advice. Because even though there are similarities, every situation has a subtle difference. And there are nuances that may happen tomorrow that I've never come across before. It's important that everybody has an understanding that there are differences. So seek a mentor. If you're really concerned about the behavior of somebody or something that has happened to you, then speak to HR. One of the first things I'd say, raise it as a point. And if no one's willing to do anything about it, you know, maybe that tells you more about the company than it does about you. Right? For any of our listeners who might be having something like this, it's not necessarily you that is the issue. Correct it could actually be the business and everyone Correct. else. Yeah, and that's the important thing. You, Great it's advice. very easy to say, hey, this is my fault. I'm doing something wrong. I've got to be, it's like going back to the good old days, uh, and I'm using that obviously totally sarcastic sense, where they would say, oh, well, I don't think of her as a, as a, as a woman. She, she, you know, she's more like a man. She acts like a man, so she'll be great. It's that kind of mentality that sometimes people think, well, I've got to change. I can't be myself. I can't have my Afro hair out. I can't talk about hip-hop. I've got to conform to this, conform. this ideal of whatever that is. If you cannot be authentic, then you're wearing a mask. We all wear masks at times. Of course we do. But if you're constantly having to be somebody that you're not, all that does is cause you stress. And all that does ultimately is to cause you to disengage and ultimately could probably make you unwell. And when we've all heard stories, you know, the classic is, you know, in the times when people would not come out because they're frightened of coming out, you know, being gay about what people would say about them. And so, you know, again, this constant mask. And I've heard some great conversations and heard some uh, great people, people like Patrick, talking about his journey to coming out. But the stress it caused, once it actually came out, that was an immense relief. It was to be able to be his authentic self. So I'm a great believer that leaders, well, everybody should be able to be authentic, bring their whole selves to work, engage their whole selves, be their whole role model. And if you cannot do that in the environment that you're in, in a way that you're comfortable, then maybe you're in the wrong environment. If it's an environment where you think you can be, do that, then you need to speak and speak out. And if you can't speak to that individual because you feel as though you can't, find somebody you can trust, who can be a sponsor, who can speak on your behalf. Fantastic advice, Andrew. And again, you know, you're saying so many things here that really resonate. You know, you mentioned, you know, really not to try too hard to conform to that ideal and really to try and be your authentic self, especially those young leaders. I 
you know, feel very privileged that I have the opportunity to meet leaders day in, day out. But I think certainly young leaders and, you know, when, when I was an aspiring leader, all I wanted was to be exactly the same as everyone else. You know, back at school, wanted to have blonde hair and blue eyes. And I think it's sometimes not until you get older that actually you think, oh, God, sod it. Do you know what? Whatever, who cares? I'm going to be myself. And actually, completely right. It's like a weight is being lifted. And, you know, you mentioned your friend who kind of felt this huge sense of relief when he came out, you know, into the world. I think that is great. And so the more that we can encourage and inspire others to do this, the better. You know, I can imagine not only would it be stressful, like you say, wearing this mask or a corporate mask or whatever we want to call it, but actually, you know, very, very exhausting trying to be yeah. something that you're not necessarily being able to put that energy into somewhere else. If you could be your authentic self and that fantastic positive energy can be driven into other projects and into work. And so, you know, again, you know, really, really like you have said, you know, businesses should be also capitalizing on this from a business point of view, because productivity will rise. It might take a bit longer, but it will rise. Yeah. And this is that mantra of inclusive leadership, you know, ensuring that everybody's included. Everybody's a leader, you know, and leadership is not about seniority. It's not about age it's not leadership everybody can be a leader and is a leader and there's quite often someone's role model and often they don't realize that and so it permeates down but it has to be encouraged from the top that we have to have inclusive teams you know you've probably heard the story about diversity being invited to dance inclusion being asked to dance you know but i prefer that next stage of equality where actually you help to choose the music, right? I'll be delighted when we no longer need things like the Central African Caribbean Network because it's an inclusive society, an inclusive area. And therefore, yes, people may still have networks for social functions, but effectively that's it. There is no longer a need for a voice because everybody's included. So, you know, that's the dream. Now, I'm not going to see that in my working life, but who's to say that the next generation of leaders won't? You know, or the one after that. It is an onward journey and some businesses are much further along than others. Some don't know where to start and look for help. Some it's just ticking a box, right? And they're well behind. But if you actually look at the new workforce, you know, that new generation, they will not tolerate it. Right? They will, they will, they're probably going to have anything up to seven different jobs you know through that working career absolutely and all these studies have shown that they've put millennials zillennials baby boomers you know they put purpose at the front of their decision making process a lot of the time you know there's been countless yeah. studies done now so individuals and certainly candidates people when they're looking to go to new organizations they're actually saying hey what does this business do which is inclusive? What does this business do that actually is inspiring change and positive yeah. action to make the world a better place? Yeah. So you've got to be competing for a workforce that really has quite high standards in terms of inclusivity, work-life balance, freedom of expression, taking part in decision-making activities. It's, it's a different workforce. Uh, and companies, again, that don't adapt to that are going to lose good talent and one of the things that you know i'd never want to do is to lose good talent for the wrong reasons of course sometimes people have very good reasons to leave and go do something else i get that that's part of life but for someone to lose, for example I, because i don't feel included 
I don't feel as though I can progress here. It's not a glass ceiling, it's a concrete ceiling because I can't see anybody that looks like me. Then that is a wrong reason. And companies need to be aware of that because it's going to come back. You know, the other point I'd make about this is, you know, we've had the gender pay gap. There will be an ethnicity pay gap and companies are going to have to get themselves sorted out to be able to do that data. And there's going to be a big surprise. And if you look at it, because you don't have this representation at senior levels, of course, it's going to look horrendous. Just a couple of super, super quick questions, because I can't believe that we've been speaking for over half an hour already. Time (laughs) has flown. So, in fact, I'm going to ask a quick lightning round worth of questions. I'm going to give you 10 to 15 seconds to answer each of these. So advice that you would have given to your younger self. Don't stress too much. You know, give yourself breathing space. Listen and trust in your own judgment and capability. And what is authentic leadership to you? It means giving everybody a voice. It means ensuring that people do not get left behind. It means allowing people to be authentic. It means encouraging and promoting difference of ideas, difference of thought, and bringing them together. What it does not mean, and it's a phrase I've often heard, is it does not mean putting everybody in the mix. It's a salad bowl rather than just actually having this where you put everybody in and everybody then looks the same. There's every little distinct piece in there and making sure that works in harmony. Oh, I love that. Life is a salad bowl. What a brilliant phrase. Not a melting pot. That's often the phrase that's used, right? Oh, we're a melting pot here. No, it's, a, it's we need to aim for a salad bowl. <laughs> Forget the melting pot. A salad bowl is yep. what we want. Okay, I definitely right. will remember that. And I think I know the, the answer to this final question, but I'm going to ask it of you anyway, for the benefit of our audience. Who's inspired you most throughout your career in life? Um, my biggest inspiration, I would, you know, I would still say, is my mum. With, without a doubt, uh, for the very reasons we mentioned earlier on. Also, you know, I will say my sister, who's passed as well, she was 12 years older than me. Strange, actually, I'm actually the same age as my sister was when she, when she passed. And she tells a story about when she was 16 and trying to be cool, taking me to go and watch, I don't know which film it was, but apparently I sat on the top deck of a double-decker bus singing the SO sign means happy motoring because I was four years old and that was a common thing and my sister desperately tried to look cool this little four-year-old his legs <laughs> but um, again she's especially because she was incredibly patient incredibly caring uh, as well and it'd be very easy for her you know to suddenly have this four, you know this baby come in when she was 12 to actually reject it right um but she was she was an incredible person as well so yes my mother and my sister my son inspires me because of what you know in terms of what we do in business and yet every day you know he has people on the table he's a trauma surgeon it's not elective surgery and so that's incredibly inspirational you know that day in day out he's saving life but also coping the fact that there are some lives he can't save and my partner sally because she allows me to calm down. She's very good at keeping me calm because I can get very emotional and worked up at times, but it allows me, it gives me that inner voice of calm. How lovely. I've really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, Andrew. I'm going to do a quick summary. I've been scribbling all over my book here. I've got about five pages and I need to read through. But just as a quick summary, you know, I've certainly learned a lot from this podcast. And I think for those that are listening, of course, you can get in touch with Andrew directly. I'll put all of the show notes onto the notes along with the podcast episode. So you can find him on LinkedIn. You can also find him on Twitter. 
Um, some of the things that I've learned, and I've just kind of highlighted here super briefly, and do correct me if there's anything that I've missed out on, but the salad bowl piece, I think life should definitely be a, a salad bowl. And if there's anyone out there who's listening who is feeling maybe, you know, that they, they could be bringing their better self to work or they are having a bit of a tough time, do you know what? Really speak out really speak out and really try and go and find someone that you can trust, someone that you can speak to, potentially to HR, like Andrew's mentioned, you know, and be confident about that. You know, if there is perhaps not the feedback that you're expecting, then don't necessarily think that it's yourself, actually. Do you know what? Maybe it's not the right business. So, you know, do look inside yourself and really think about whether this is the right place for you. And also try and go and speak with someone. Responses are fantastic, both internally and externally. And again, you know, HR, always good people to speak with about any options for sponsorship or for mentorship. And just another quick piece as well, just to finish on, which I really, really loved from today's session. You know, don't conform or feel pressure to conform to the ideal there isn't necessarily an ideal. You know, embrace your whole being because at the end of the day, we are all humans. We all live on the same planet together. So the less stress you have about yourself and being able to be yourself, you know, the more energy you will have and certainly, you know, the better you'll be able to perform at work. So I hope that's an adequate, quick summary, Andrew. I know there's lots of other things that I could have talked about there, but I just thought because we have probably run over a fair bit and actually I could be talking to you, but I could talk to you for another hour as well, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I will say thank you very much to all of our listeners for tuning in today. You have been listening to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast with me, Leila McKenzie. I've been joined by the fantastic, very, very touching, actually, Andrew Pierce from Accenture managing director do tune in again in a fortnight and check us out online www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcast and you can see all of andrew's notes on there take care now see you again soon bye